So Habakkuk chapter 1, super excited uh, to continue uh, to make our way through uh, this uh, minor prophet. And, and truly, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, three chapters would definitely qualify him as being a, a minor prophet. But obviously, that's not the reason why uh, he is classified that way. But we're going to continue to make our way uh, through Habakkuk. So if you would stand, we're going to read... Um, Really, we're going to look at verses 2 through 11 tonight, but I'm just, for the sake of our reading of Scripture together, going to read verses 2 through 4 tonight. So, uh, asking the question, uh, the title of this sermon tonight is, What's going on here? So, uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse number 2, this is God's word to his people. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And this is God's word to his people. We're, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to read it together and celebrate it together this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the opportunity we have tonight to uh, consider your word together. And as we open it together collectively, we ask that you would give us uh, eyes to see the, the text as it is, ears to hear what it has to say, and, and hearts that will ultimately receive it, and that we'd be conformed into your image as Christ followers. And Father, if there's someone here tonight who who does not know you as their Savior, we do pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit they would be convicted of their need for you and, and trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins. So as we journey through uh, what's perplexing for Habakkuk, and we would probably affirm that it is perplexing for us as well, we ask that you would give us uh, the, the wisdom to see how your word is still so relevant even after so many years of being written. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, we probably don't need an illustration to try to connect the question, what's going on here with uh, the life that we are currently experiencing? Um, a, a good chunk, a good portion of sermon preparation is trying to figure out how will you connect the text that you're preaching um, to the audience and, and kind of, if you will, pull them in uh, to the sermon. And so normally that is, uh, can, can tend to be a little bit difficult. Uh, you try and figure out exactly the lay of the land of the text and how this pulls us in. Uh, Habakkuk asks, how long is this going to happen? How long is this going to continue to go on? How long are we going to experience these things? And realistically, I think that you just pretty much get out of bed in the morning and you get on your social media feed or you, I almost said read a newspaper, but I doubt that many of you in this room have ever read a newspaper, which is unfortunate um, because there's a art and science to how a newspaper is even put together um, to, to communicate what's important. Uh, however, we live in a social media era where everything is ultimately important. It's set with all caps all the time. So you get up in the morning and from the minute that you uh, uh, get up and you begin to consume media through the day, you're probably asking yourself, how much longer are we going to experience this? And especially as we go through 
different seasons of life, we, we find ourselves asking, how long is this honestly going to last? And, and so we're familiar with Habakkuk's question. The, the truth is that when we experience um, the turmoil and the frustration that we're experiencing right now, the, the problem isn't necessarily the question. The problem tends to be with what the answer will inevitably be. Because we're so anxious for that answer. I want to know what God is doing and why he's allowing us to experience this. And why does everything seem to be changing? And what, I mean, for a lot of you, maybe this was a year ago or now it seems like it's been forever ago that you were getting ready to go to college and this was kind of the last summer of freedom and I am experiencing all of this. Everything in my life is about to change and, and the turmoil that comes with that. And now we find ourselves on the, the flip side of this and we're staring in the eye of a pandemic that we all honestly probably are like, can we that just go away, please? We would ju- we're just exhausted by that. And, and we, we come to church and, and we're like, when will this end? And, and we hear everything around us just swirling around us going, we're going to hear new restrictions or this is going to change. And so we find ourselves asking the question that Habakkuk ultimately asked, what's going on here? I think for a lot of us, we look around the world, specifically the United States, a country in which we live, and we ask ourselves, how long is this going to continue on? And how long is the current trajectory of where we seem to be going as a culture and a world in our own society and, and culture going to continue to happen. And I, I'm, I'm fearful tonight because I think the answer that comes to Habakkuk is eerily similar to the answer that we're about to get. And we're not going to like it, but that's why we have to run to God's word and say, what does God's word have to say about situations like this? And what do I need to learn in relationship to it? And so uh, in keeping with the tradition of being in the Minor Prophet last week and having two points, we'll once again only have two points tonight. It's really convenient when the text gives you two points because then you just have two. You don't have to invent a third. Anyway, the first thing we need to consider is Habakkuk's cry for help. Let's look at verses 2 through 4 again, and we'll just read verse 2 to get us started. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence and you will not save habakkuk begins this book of the bible he begins this prophecy this oracle if you will and he is crying out to god for help rightly understood what habakkuk is doing is lamenting what is taking place he's looking at what judah has done he's looking at what's coming for judah and he is crying out to god asking why don't you help us. See, what Habakkuk wants to know is how long are we going to have to endure this and how long until you redeem your covenant faithfulness to us because you've been covenantly faithful to us before and you've come around to us even when we were unfaithful to you. So we could make the claim. And since we're all mature adults in here, we'll just this to the high schoolers down at the other end of the building Habakkuk cries out lamenting and I think the nation of Judah and Israel prior to them would be like this we've been the rebellious 
teenager who gets into trouble, who does stupid stuff, who does what we're not told to do, and our parents time and time again come in and they bail us out and they make everything okay and they fix problems. And God, we have been bad. We've been really bad. Like really, really, like Michael Jackson level bad. Just we've been bad, okay? We're all uh, uh, in agreement about this. And when are you going to come in and, and bail us out? But notice that Habakkuk's cry is, sounds a little bit different than the, the little boy who cries wolf to get somebody to rush to see what's going on. His cry is, how long will you cry to us and, and you won't hear? We even cry out to you and tell you there's violence taking place here. That's what Habakkuk is saying. We even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save us. Look. God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the Babylonians are getting closer. And those are some bad dudes. And they perpetrate violence everywhere they go. And we've been crying out violence and, yep, just checking, but you will not say. Why, why is this happening? Habakkuk continues in verse 3. He says, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Habakkuk asks this question, basically. It's bad enough that violence is happening, but do I have to watch it happen too? It's bad enough that this is taking place in our backyard, but you're making me have a front row seat to it, and I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't buy a ticket. We could make the equivalent of the person who is, immediately freaked out by any appearance of blood. You know who those, these people are. They did just the, the slightest uh, notion of blood, and they are immediately like looking for a, a handrail to throw up on the other side of it. It's bad enough you know this, and then we take you and put you ringside in a UFC fight, and there's blood everywhere. And this poor person is looking to, to, to make their exodus quickly. They look like they're moving faster than the nation of Israel to get out of Egypt. Like we've part this Red Sea of people. There's too much blood here. And yet you force me to sit here and watch it. Habakkuk is saying, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not okay. How dare you make us? But he is not, how dare you? He is, why? Why? God, we've gone through this before. We know you're covenantly faithful. We're covenantly unfaithful. You come in and you clean up our mess, and, 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 and we go on to the next thing. This is a cycle. If you, go, if you start in the book of Judges and you read all the way to, to, to the end of 2 Chronicles, it's a cycle. Israel goes into captivity. There's spiritual renewal that takes place. They repent. They um, leave captivity. They're freed from captivity. And, and Israel begins uh, to walk with God, and then all of a sudden they turn away from God, worship false idols, and immediately go back into captivity. And Habakkuk is anticipating that this cycle will continue that way. And he's weeping because he's actually legitimately broken. Look, look at what else he says. For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. This is not like things are uncomfortable. Like, have you been around the... Hopefully you've not been around these people because it's frustrating to be around the people who the slightest inconvenience 
is equivalent to mass persecution. What do you mean there's no in-flight movie service on this flight? How dare you? The person who, the slightest offense, uh, excuse me, I ordered no pulp orange juice. This is semi-pulp orange juice. And if you don't fix this immediately, I'm going to need to speak to your supervisor. Our generation is affectionately referred to that person as Karen. (laughs) The person who seems to escalate every small minor offense into World War III or seems to be out of touch with reality. That's not what's going on here. Habakkuk uses seven words. Look, look here. He, he, verse 2, violence, and you will not save. You show me iniquity, cause me to see trouble, plundering, violence again, strife and contention. This is not acceptable. This is hardcore difficulty. And it's not just the, uh, 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 it's a little violence. It's massive violence. It's, it, it's extreme violence. And on top of this, as if the violence isn't bad enough, it seems like the, the, those who are in positions to protect against this are absolutely inept, incompetent, and impotent to fix any of the problems. Look at verse 4. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So you got innocent people being accused of being guilty and guilty people being let go and and walk free. The, the, The wicked people are surrounded, are surrounding the righteous, and they're not allowing anything out that is remotely just. So Habakkuk is asking a a form of this question. How long will this injustice happen? Or how much destruction of society must take place for God to step in? Ooh, ooh, we're getting a little close to real life. How much destruction of society must take place for God to step in? At what point does God override and say, okay, turkeys, you've had enough, and I'm stepping in and I'm overriding? I'm stepping in and overriding. It's just enough. I've had it. But that's how humans think about how God deals with evil and injustice. The problem is that we're not God and God's not us. So God doesn't think like us and we don't think like God. Again, this is a difficulty when you've been plagued by sin since the moment of your birth. And sin did my mother conceive me. Like, look. You may still be the apple of your mama's eye, but you're as pagan as they come. You don't like hearing that. It's not really, you don't hope to get that birthday card. And you're like, oh, Craig sent me a card on my birthday. Happy birthday, pagan. No, that's rude. (laughs) We oftentimes want God to think the way that we think. The problem is that our thoughts are not his thoughts and Our ways are not his ways, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But I also want you to notice in these verses the brokenness that exists in Habakkuk. Here is the prophet weeping and crying out. 
he, he's burdened by the sinfulness of his people. He, he's, he's broken by the way that they oppress people. It is an affront to a holy God, and that bothers him. And he can't help but be broken. So we, we, we look at Habakkuk as a model of someone who actually is affected by the sin that plagues the society in which he lives. Here's a guy who's not just consuming more and more and more and more sin. Here's a guy who is broken and contrite and asking God, how long, how much more are we going to have to experience this? Because I don't know how much more I can handle. But not because it's uncomfortable, but because the sin of the people bothers me. See, I think this is, a, this is the difference. You want to know the difference between the Old Testament prophet and the American Christian? The Old Testament prophet is genuinely broken over the sinfulness of the culture and society. The American Christian is broken and bothered by the discomfort of their life. Things aren't the way, they aren't as easy as I think they should be. Things aren't as comfortable as they should be. I, I don't like where this is going and I don't get my Snapple for free. Like that is the tracking, trending line of the American Christian. They're not broken over sin. In fact, they delight in sin. One only need to see that the foraging grounds of social media comments and the Twitter back and forth and the videos that are shared and the movies that are discussed and the video games that are played and the, and the television that is consumed to know that American Christians aren't really bothered by violence until it affects them specifically or makes their life a little bit more uncomfortable they're not bothered by sin unless somebody catches them doing sin and then all of a sudden oh man i'm just I'm broken it just it tears me up if we were really serious about sin our attitude toward what goes on in the culture around us and i'm talking i, I i'm not just talking in the last year I'm not this is not a 2020 sermon like oh if we would only get serious about sin we would never have experienced things like covid we never experienced things like race riots because you're right we've never experienced pandemics or racial tensions in this country before the problem is we're not broken over the sinfulness that continually plagues us generation after generation after generation and christians become more and more complacent about sin and they roll into the book of habakkuk most of them have never even seen it heard it think that it's maybe a convenience store in like another country and and they haven't been confronted with the reality that here's a man who's broken over the sinfulness of his own society and culture and world and knows that th th this is a big problem you you got to you got a question that you're going to have to ask yourself in the coming days and coming weeks and coming years are you actually broken over the sinfulness of the, the people around you? Because if you are, it's going to change the way, one, that you pray for them, the way that you talk to them, the way that you interact with them, and, and, and it's going to push you to share the gospel with them because you, you understand this affects them. You know, I think the only place this sermon would be quieter to preach would be to the big church. Because I, I'm going to ask you this question. I ask you, are you broken by the sin in you and around you? The, the, the first place that, the reason why Habakkuk can be broken about the sin that is affecting Judah is because he's affected by the sin that is in him. 
he knows I'm sinful and that affects him. And he's broken over his own sinfulness and then he's broken over the sin that he sees. And the second thing is, are you crying out to God about the sin around you? And not imprecatory psalms. And you're like, what's an imprecatory psalm? Well, if you go to the book of Psalms and any of the books that are like, basically you're going to um, chuck rocks at people's teeth and bash their heads in. Like, I think that's what most people's response is. Like, let's just go pray some imprecatory psalms. Like, God will just rain down fire and, and brimstone. You know, a good old, we haven't had a good old Sodom and Gomorrah around here in a real long time. Like, it'd be really nice if God just burned this place to the ground. What if, instead of going there, Old Testament wrath, that should be rained down on you as a sinner, well, don't forget about that, we're like, Sodom and Gomorrah, really bad place. Those people deserved it. So do you. So, fire and brimstone on your house. I feel like Mushu right there. And curse you on your family, and whatever. I, I really think if we were serious about lamenting and crying and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, here's a, here's a question I would ask you. When was the last time that you were seriously affected by the sin that affects other people that aren't like you? It's real easy for you to be outraged and lament with those who experience the same kind of sin that's done to them that's done to you but when it looks like and doesn't seem like anything that you experience you're like well they're just gonna have to get over it it's not really that bad well sister sue if we came to you and said the things that affect you and the sin that's done against you that affects you and plagues you isn't really that bad you'd be all up in arms see we're really good at saying all sin is equal in the eyes of god what we're not good at doing is weeping and lamenting with those who are affected by different sins than affect us. And when we look out in the society and the culture around us, we don't pick and choose what we like and don't like about what's affecting other people. We're just genuinely broken like they are. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We don't put a tag on it. We're like, well, you know, I don't really like that you're rejoicing about that, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, David, that's foolishness. Yet we seem to struggle to empathize with people who are affected by sin all around us just because it isn't what we deal with. The prophet certainly has the right to sit there and say, I'm not doing what Judah's doing. So why would I be broken over it? Because he understands the consequences that are going to come from it. So are you broken over your own sin and the sin that surrounds you? And are you crying out to God about it? Bring about revival. Save people. Call them to repentance and faith. B allow Christians to rise to positions where they might be able to advocate for people. Because guess what? There's, we start with a cry for help, and then, and then secondly, we get an unusual reply. So here's the cry for help. And in verses 5 through 11, God responds. He's unusual. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Okay. Habakkuk singing. You're going to do something awesome, right? 
like you know swoop in here and take care of all this bad stuff we're all going to be cool going to be homeboys again and life's going to be good okay and you're going to do it in such a way that um you know i wouldn't even believe it if you told me before sounds great verse six for indeed i'm raising up the chaldeans Uh oh a bitter and hasty nation well that's not good which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Wait a minute. Hold on. you got to think, if you're Habakkuk at this point, this is not what I signed up for again. I had to watch violence, and now you're raising up the Chaldeans, which is just their street name for the Babylonians? These are some bad dudes. So we read in verse 6, and God describes them. Verses 6 through 11 is God describing the people that he is going to work to bring about a work that they are not going to believe would happen, even if we had told them. He says first in verse 6, they're aggressive. Read verse 7. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity uh, proceed from themselves. Well, when your judgment and dignity proceeds from yourselves, you're prideful. So, so they're aggressive. They're prideful. It does not sound like what we agreed to in the covenant is what Habakkuk is thinking at this point. Verse 8, their horses are also swifter than lep- leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. you got to wonder at this point if Habakkuk's like, um, maybe an oracle isn't really my thing. And maybe we can pull out on this message. Um, I will stop prophesying and... Um, just forget that I asked a question. I think sometimes we ask questions. We're like, why are you letting this happen? And God begins to pull back the curtain, and we're like, you know what? Just forget that I asked that question. I don't want to know that information. You've got to be wondering if you're Habakkuk, what in the world? They're aggressive. They're prideful. Verse 8 says they're intense and ferocious. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. If you've ever watched an eagle that's hungry, um, they fly with intensity, certitude, and force. It's not something, and it's not an eagle just kind of walking to get some food. Like, hey, we just go down to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. It's intense. These are bad dudes. Verse 9, they're brutal. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. If we were to follow the Babylonians into when they capture territory, some of them would have bumper stickers on their chariots that said, killers got to kill. This is what we do. Just, what, what do you feel like doing today, Greg? Oh, the same thing we always do. Let's go shed some innocent people's blood. That's a normal Tuesday av- conversation with the Babylonians. What do you feel like doing today? Well, yesterday we went and killed some people that were innocent. What do you feel like doing today? Eh, let's do the same thing. Let's not get out of a routine. I want to stay sharp and agile. These are not, we read the Bible and we're like, we clean up all these. Like, if you were to get, like, Habakkuk is not a coloring sheet that we're passing out. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. What, what color do you, oh, we just got a lot of red. Just a lot of red for the, for the, the Israelites and the, the nations that are just all over the ground. This is not a coloring sheet for Sunday school. We try and, we, I'm telling you, this is another sermon for another time. We try and clean up the Bible 
to make it be all neat and tidy and clean and cute so it fits some nice little story, and it's just not true. God tells us that even in the difficult things that we face, he is using difficult things to accomplish his plans, his purposes, his goals, his means, his will, his operations. And a lot of times we don't want to read. The reason why the Old Testament is irrelevant is not because it's like not applicable. It's because we don't want to actually have to read it and deal with it. We really like God loves the world, gave his son for the whole world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We don't want to go and say God is going to work through difficult things to accomplish his glory. I'm telling you tonight, if you want the I'm just about the nice Jesus that we see in the New Testament, you are disconnected not from the Old Testament, but from reality of who Christ is, who God is, and how he's operating. Verse 10, let's just continue to get this uh, description together. They're unaffected by others. Verse 10, they scoff at kings. Look at king like, king who? Princes are scorned by them. Prince who? We don't even care if you're the artist formerly known as prince. We don't give a rip about what kind of prince you are. This is who the Babylonians are. They are worse than any terrorist cell, any group that you've ever seen in your entire life. And you're like, why are you belaboring this point? Because this is not who we think of who God is going to use in, in, in the Bible to bring about his plans and his purposes. He says they der- deride every stronghold. They're sarcastic. They're mean. They're ugly. For they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Verse 11, they have no barrier to what they do. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So this is just guys are going nuts. You're saying, what is the point of this? You have just really killed my Wednesday vibe. Like, I came in here expecting to feel good about myself. Here's the good news is God is not a respecter of persons, meaning sometimes God allows us to be handed over to the consequences of our sin and reap the responsibility that comes for it. We can land here in Habakkuk and we can go, man, this seems really unfair of God to do. But that would be the 21st century American Western way of reading scripture. If we were to read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we would know the nation of Judah has been continually running and chasing after foreign gods. In other words, they had sinned and now God is going to allow the consequences of their sin to serve as the judgment of their sin. And he's going to use it to accomplish his purposes. Yes, please hear me. Your actions, the choices that you make, the things that you do matter and have consequences. And the point of this particular passage is to remind us that God uses even the wicked nation of Babylon to accomplish his purposes. Even the consequences of your sin are being used by God to mold you and make you more like him. We don't like that. We want the uh, punishment that I often got. So we got to a point in my house where um, corrective behavior uh, by the means of various instruments and mentalities uh, was no longer effective. So we graduated to a new stage of punishment that we, uh, as being the firstborn, had not been yet experienced. And that was being grounded. 
which was interesting because the pronouncement would come from on high. You, that's it. You're grounded for a whole week. Okay. Like, I'm freaking out. Just throwing stuff. I'm like, what do you mean a week? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Do you not understand what's going on here? I go to a Christian school. I go to church. Like, I got, like, I got to get away from these people. I can't do anything for a week. And about 48 hours would go by. My dad would come to me and he would say, I hope he never listens to this. You're going to be so frustrated with me. Uh, he would come and say something like, I, you know, we know, your mother and I have talked. We know that you're upset about what you've done. Don't do it again. Your, your grounding is over. I'm like, oh, this is great. I was supposed to be off for a week. I got two days. I'm feeling pretty good about life. That's what we want. We want the benevolent dad who feels bad for punishing his firstborn son who's supremely better than the other two siblings in the house who doesn't do nearly as much bad as those two evil jokers did. And so because he sees the evil and error of his ways, he bumbles in and says, we know it's been a really difficult two days and we know you're sorry about what you've done, so you're done being grounded. What we don't want is the actual consequences of our sin. Because we all know in this room, and we could spend from here to eternity going around this room confessing things that our parents still, at this point in your life, have no idea has taken place. And now you will get to an age like you're our age, where we have a, a kid, and you go home and you tell stories, and it's the first time that your parents have ever heard them, because they're holding the grandbaby and, and surely they can't ground you while you're at home. I, I tell that because that's the God that we want. And the problem is, Augustine says, is if you pick and choose the parts about God that you like and you want to worship, in the end, you don't worship God, you worship yourself. And that's what happens when we pull all of these things apart. And so I would say this as we draw our time together to a close. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You may be facing something like this legitimately difficult this week, or this month, or this year, and we all have to a certain degree. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are, are we okay with understanding that God works out his plans according to his means and his ways, and also provided in that is when we sin, it has consequences. The whole book of Habakkuk ought to be read in that light. When we sin, that sin has consequences. When we uh, do something or, or live in a way that's contrary to God, we are living in light of coming judgment. It's only because of his grace, mercy, and love that he extends the gospel to us, not because we have deserved it or earned it, right? Romans 5, 8 says, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there is no sense in which we earn or deserve being able to be saved, to experience an escape from the wrath to come. It's only because of his grace, mercy, and love. But sometimes the most gracious thing that God can do to his children is to allow the consequences of their sin to come to bear on their life. And that's when we typically throw up our hands and balk, and we say, this isn't fair. Well, it wasn't fair that 
all through the book of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the nation of Judah is continually living contrary to the expectations that they had agreed to. And they said, we will be covenant faithful, we'll be covenantly faithful to you. And then they didn't. So I'd ask you, just in closing, two questions. Do you understand that sin has consequences? And I don't mean, can you affirm tonight that sin has consequences? I think everybody in here goes, yeah, sin has consequences. What it really stinks is when those are my sins and they have my consequences. And then second, are you willing to trust God in spite of your thoughts about the way that God is working out his plan? So here's a righteous man who has followed the Lord and wanted and, and probably didn't want to be a prophet. This is a calling that has come to him and he can't escape it. And out of everybody in the land, he doesn't deserve to go through this. But he still is going to look through uh, the, the, the trials and the temptations and, and, and the different things that are coming his way and say, I'm going to trust God through all of it. Some of us tonight, we just need to reality check that sometimes God is going to operate in ways that we don't feel are fair or right or just. And as Christians, our responsibility is to trust more in God than we do in what we perceive to be the right way that things should work out. Let's pray together this evening. Father.